right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here today. Uh, we are in First Peter, if you want to turn there. <clears throat> and um, we're going to be reading uh, verses uh, 22, 122, verses uh, 2, verse 3. And so um, why don't we stand together and we'll uh, read the scripture together. First Peter 1, 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all the glory of the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word or this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And uh, let's pray quickly again. Father, we thank you again. We pray, Lord, this morning as we open up your word that you would speak, that you would encourage us, that you would uh, teach us. Help us, God, to live differently because of what we hear today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us, we uh, have been in a series in the book of 1 Peter. And uh, 1 Peter is a letter that uh, the Apostle Peter addresses to uh, Christians in the Roman Empire, living in the Roman Empire, and he calls them exiles. Now, they're not literal exiles. The word exile is a metaphor, uh, not only for them, but for all of us Christians living in the world. We are exiles. What that means is that although we reside here, uh, wherever we are, Batesville or London or Portland or whatever, wherever you re reside, uh, it's true that you live there, but actually as Christians, our citizenship is somewhere else. Our values are from somewhere else. Our identity is from somewhere else. And so in the world, we are, Peter says, resident aliens or exiles. Peter's been telling us how to live as exiles in the world. How do we live in a culture where we are a minority? And he said uh, a couple things so far. So beginning of chapter 1, Peter says, as exiles, I want you to be marked with a unique hope. And so in verse 3, he says, you've been born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So as exiles, he says, I want you to live as hopeful people in the world. Uh, he also told us that we ought to be marked by holiness. And so uh, he says in chapter 1, verse 19, he who has called you is holy, so you need to be holy in all of your contact. And so uh, as exiles, we are to be a people that are marked by holiness. That simply means we are to be set apart as God's people. And then in the verses that we're reading this morning, uh, Peter is going to give us another mark uh, of an exile or a person of God. He says, I want you to be marked by love. Uh, love or brotherly love is the theme of the verses that we just read. And so uh, Peter says in verse 22, he says, I want you to love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Now, uh, love is not just one mark among all the other marks uh, of a Christian. Really, love is the mark. It is the main mark of, of a Jesus follower. Jesus said it in, in the book of John. He says, uh, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. 
as I have loved you, you should love one another. And then he says, all men will know that you are my disciples. Not because of the way you vote, not because of the cross that you wear around your neck, not because of the bumper sticker on your car. The main mark of being a Christian is love. Uh, And Peter says that you ought to be marked, not just one mark among many, but the main thing that that, that should set you apart as exiles in the world is love, brotherly love. I think this is so important. Uh, This is an important message for us because I think we live in a world that is divided and polarized, don't we? Uh, we, we? I've started getting my news from multiple different sources. Uh, I don't know why I haven't always done this, but I've started having a, a couple sources that I look at that are kind of left-leaning, and then I have a couple news sources that I look at that are kind of right-leaning, and then I have some that are supposedly in the middle. And one thing I've noticed is how each side talks about the other side how each side sort of almost talks past the other side. And the language that is used is is so disdainful. It's so vitriolic. It's so uh, polarizing. And it's no wonder that Americans are divided. We're divided politically and economically and socially. And and often these divisions work their way into our friendships, into our family relationships. And what Peter is saying is that as Christians... In a polarized world, I want you to be united by brotherly love. This is so crucial for you. And what, this, what Peter is saying is he, not necessarily that he wants us all to agree. He's not saying that when you become a Christian, you have to get rid of your uh, political views and you need to adopt the same political views. He's not saying that we all need to have the same economic beliefs or the same social uh, beliefs. He's saying, I want you to love one another, and even though you are so different, Even though as a church, you're economically and politically divided and different, I want you to be a people that loves one another, despite the differences. You know, there are some churches where it's kind of just very monolithic and everybody kind of is on the same side of the political spectrum. We're not one of those churches, guys. And so this message is so crucial for us. How do we love one another despite our differences? Peter says this is crucial. As an exile, you need to, to know how to do this. And it's hard. It's so hard. But, but what I love about what Peter does here is he tells us how to do this. Peter here gives us uh, three uh, requirements for practicing brotherly love. That's what he's going to do in the passage. He's saying, I want you to love, but he doesn't stop there. He says, let me give you three things that are necessary that you've got, that you need to have if you're going to love one another despite the differences. Today, what I want to do is go through these Three things, and so let's look at the first one. Peter says the first thing that you need, uh, if you're going to love one another with brotherly love, is you need something called the new birth. Let's look at Peter says, verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from pure heart, since you have been born again. Notice the language there. You've been born again not by perishable seed, but by imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now notice the the word since or the word for there. Peter is saying, I want you to love one another, and here's why. I want you to love one one another because something is true about you. He says, I want you to love, and he builds the command to love on the reality of the new birth. Because you've been born again, he says, I want you to love one another. 
the new birth is the first thing that we need if we're going to love. Now, what is the new birth? Uh, you know, the, let me just explain that really quickly. Uh, the, the new birth is something that happened to every Christian. The moment you were converted, the moment you believed you were born again. And what this means is that becoming a Christian uh, means that you have been changed radically on the inside. To be a Christian is not just to have a set of beliefs or to follow certain teachings or to turn over a new leaf. To be a Christian is to have undergone a radical change on the inside. And it means that the life of God has come to live in the soul of a human being. A Christian is somebody who has a new nature. Now, Peter here talks about the uh, corruptible seed and the incorruptible seed. And he's saying that if you're a Christian, you've kind of got a dual nature. You've got the corruptible seed or the, the old nature that is marked by sin and brokenness. But you also have a new nature. You have the incorruptible seed. You have the life of God living in you. And so to be a Christian is to have two different natures. And what Peter is saying here is that your new nature gives you a new capability. It changes you radically on the inside. And in fact, the metaphor he gives is the metaphor of a seed. So if you've ever planted a seed, uh, you know, you put the seed in the ground. And uh, although the, the ground looks the same, it's brown, it kind of looks like soil. In the soil, there's life growing. There's new life. There's power that's growing there. And he's saying the same thing is true if you're a Christian. The seed of God has been implanted in your soul. And after you're converted, you may look in the mirror and it's the same you. You still look the same, same double chin, same, you know, I'm short, you know, or whatever. You look the same, but on the inside, the seed has been planted. The life of God is alive and growing in you. And Peter says, because that's true, you've got a new capability to love. In fact, the NIV puts it, it says, since you have purified your souls by, obedient, by the obedience to the truth, so that you have love for one another. He says, if you've been born again, you already have it. God's loving life is already in you. And because of that, you need to learn to love one another. Now, this has several implications. First of all, uh, it implies that every single Christian has the capability to love, no matter who you are. And this is important because you might say, I can't love. You don't understand. You don't understand my upbringing. You know, I grew up in a home where I wasn't loved as a child. I wasn't taken care of. And, you know, no father, no mother actually taught me how to love. I just have a diminished capacity for this. I can't do it. Or you might say, I've got a personality type. You know, I'm a Myers-Briggs, you know, INTJ or whatever, and I just, I just can't, you know, I just I can't love the way other people can love. What this says is that you actually do have the capability. God's life is in you, and what that means is that you have an infinite capability to love people. The same ability that God has to love, you know how, you now have to love other people, no matter who you are no matter what your background. It also means that no matter who the person is, you can love them. Because have you ever found yourself saying this, I just can't love that person. I just can't love that person. I just don't have it in me to love that person. Peter would say, yes, you do have it in you to love that person. And you know that there are those people that maybe have personalities that, that rub you the wrong way. You know, there, there's those people out there that just they're they're just awkward and weird or pushy or irritating. And, and whenever they're around, you know, they just rub you the wrong way. If you don't know who that person is, by the way, it's probably you. 
there's those people that are hard to love. And you say, you say, I just can't love them. I don't have it in me. Or maybe there's that person who's got a different political belief than you do. And you just think, I just don't get them. I don't understand how they could think that way. And, and I just, they're just so different. I can't love them. And Peter would say, you can. You have an infinite capacity to love because you've been born again. This also means that if you've not been born again, if you've not been born again, this is something that is necessary, absolutely crucial if you're really going to love people. Agape, which we're going to get into that next point, but agape is, is not a natural love. Agape is a supernatural love. What Peter's asking us to do here is something that the natural person cannot do on their own. It's not that God comes to a person and says, goes to the old self and says, with all of your old abilities and the natural person I want you to love. He says, no, the natural person is not able to do what I'm asking them to do. You need the new nature. You need a new ability. You need a supernatural life if you're going to love the way God wants you to do, to do because love that he's talking about here is supernatural. This is a wonderful quote, and I give it every so often. This is by Bishop William Temple, and he said this. He says, it is no good giving me a play like Hamlet and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it, but I can't. Ah, he says, but if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I can live a life like that. Here's the truth, Peter says. The spirit of Jesus has come to live in you. The same love that he loves with is now in you. You've got the power to love. No excuses because you have the new birth. The second thing that Peter says here is not only that the new birth or, or love requires the new birth, the second thing he's going to say is also that brotherly love requires strenuous effort. And notice Peter goes on. He says, you've been born again by corruptible seed. But he says, even though you have the love of God in your heart already, he says, still, I want you to love one another, notice the word, earnestly from a pure heart. In other words, G, uh, Peter is saying, I want you to work hard to love. Just because the life of, go of God is in you and you've been born again doesn't mean that love is now easy for you. If you're going to love the way uh, I'm calling you to do here, you've got to do it earnestly. You've got to try. You've got to put forth strenuous effort. In fact, I love the word uh, earnestly here. Literally, it's an athletic term, and it means to stretch a muscle to the furthest limits of its capacity, to, to stretch your muscle as far as it will go. Think about an, an athlete running a race, and they're stretching towards the finish line, and every muscle is just completely exerted to its fullest capacity. They're giving it all they've got. Peter says, this is the way you're to love people. Have you ever given something all you've got? You know, maybe, it's, maybe it is a, a sports that you've, you've played, and you just gave everything for that. You know, you practiced, and you worked out, and you gave it your all. Everything that you have, you gave yourself to that thing. Or maybe it's uh, education. You know, I remember my education just going to uh, university. I gave it every ounce of brain power that I had. Every dendrite in my brain, it was working at its fullest capacity. It took everything to get that degree. Or maybe it's a marriage, you know, you want to save the marriage. 
And so you're giving it everything that you've got, every ounce of power that you've got. You're putting it, all that effort towards the marriage. Peter says, this is the way I want you to love. You've got to give love everything that you've got. You've got to put forth strenuous effort. Yes, you've got two natures. Yes, you've got the life of God living in you, but this doesn't mean that it comes easily. You've got to try if you're going to do this. In fact, the word agape is a word that connotes a tremendous effort. Uh, agape, agape love is not an emotion or a sentiment. Agape is, it's, it's a verb. Love in the biblical language is, is a sacrificial word. It's a giving word, and it tra- takes effort to do this. In our culture, we, when we think about love, we just think about something that happens to you. Like, oh, I'm in a marriage, and I just, I fell in love with this person, and now I just fell out of love. I just don't love them anymore. Almost like love is an emotion or love is a simp- sentiment that you might feel that just kind of comes upon you. And you just kind of let it happen. Agape is not like that. Lo- agape is about the will. It's about a decision, and it's something that you need to decide and put forth effort to do. If you're ever going to love people that are different than you, if you're ever going to love somebody who's your brother in Christ, he's on the other side of the political spectrum or on the other side of the social spectrum, you need to work at it. I was having a conversation with my uh, sister last week, and and we were talking about politics and uh, issues like we always do. And we got kind of in a heated argument where we we talked about COVID-19 and wearing masks and whether you should wear a mask or whether you shouldn't wear a mask. And... And then we got on, you know, the riots and the race stuff that's going on. And we kind of talked through that. And then we talked about politics and what's going on with the election. And we just went through all of these things. And, and Akira, she finally says, you know, Brent, she says, I'm having so much trouble. I've got a friend of mine. I'm having so much trouble loving this person because they have a different view on all of this stuff than I do. And she says, so I've started reading a book. She said, I found a book that I completely disagree with. It's a, it's a book from her perspective, from the, has her view. I found a book, and I'm reading it. She says, because I'm trying to understand her. And I want to understand her because I want to learn to love her. There's a lesson there for us, isn't there? When, if you're going to love somebody who's different, you've got to work hard to understand them and have empathy. You've got to make space in your life. You've got to make room for them. It takes a, men, a, a tremendous amount of effort. But notice Peter says it's not just a positive kind of an effort. It's also it takes strenuous negative effort. There are things that you need to try to do. But there's also things you need to try not to do. So notice Peter goes on in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, so I want you to put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy, and all slander. He makes a list here. And these are things that he says you need to try hard not to do these things. These are all things that are part of the old nature, remember. These are part of the old unredeemed you. This is a list of things that are toxic to this new kind of love. He says you need to try hard to rid your life of these things. He says rid yourself of malice or contempt. This is what you feel when you look at that Facebook post that you disagree with. He says, rid yourself of that. That's toxic to love. And then he says, uh, rid yourself of all deceit and hypocrisy. Uh, these, this is a kind of a fake kind of niceness. 
you know, where you're, you're nice to somebody, but you really don't like them at all. You might say some things to them, but on the inside, you're thinking, what is wrong with that moron? <laughs> That's hypocrisy right there. I, I remember moving to the South years ago, and, and people always said this one thing to me over and over again. They said, oh, Brent, bless your heart. So nice. Oh, Brent, bless your heart. They said it to me over and over again. And one day somebody said, Brent, if anybody says bless your heart here in the South, that is not a compliment. Because what it means is, oh, you poor thing, you are so stupid. (laughs) It's kind of a fake niceness, maybe. Peter says, you've got to rid yourself of that kind of fake niceness, of that hypocrisy. Uh, don't think, don't say one thing, but on the inside, you're actually meaning another. Your love has to be real. It's got to be honest. It's got to be truthful. And then he goes on, and rid yourself of envy or jealousy. This is what you feel when you're looking at the, your social media feed, and you see that perfect friend who's got a perfect body and a perfect marriage and a perfect career, and you think, oh, they're so perfect. I hate them. <laughs> You've felt that before. You know, you look at them, and, and, and actually when you see something go wrong in your life, you feel kind of good about it. That's envy. That's jealousy. Peter says, this is toxic to love, and you need to get rid of that. You need to rid yourself of that sort of thing. And then he finally says, and you need to get rid of slander or gossip. Uh, slander or gossip, this is triangulating. This is when uh, you get together with somebody else, and you talk about that person over there when they're not around. You say negative things to this person about that person. Peter says that is toxic to love, and you need to get rid of all gossip. By the way, I was years ago, I remember uh, going to a Bible study, and I, I invited a brand-new Christian to come with me. And uh, we heard the Bible study, and then afterwards, we were at Dairy Queen, and we were all talking. And uh, me and my friends, we started talking about a girl who was at the Bible study in a very negative way. But we needed to pray for her, you know? And so we started talking about her faults. And and this brand new Christian who was with us, he says, wait a minute. uh, You're gossiping right now. And he says, didn't we just hear in the Bible study that we shouldn't do that? I think the Bible study was actually about gossip. But you see, I didn't even, here's one thing I realized about it. Number one, gossip was so easy. And number two, I didn't even notice that I was doing it. And that's what's true about your old person. Uh, you know, it tries, you need to work hard and put forth tremendous effort to love people. But notice uh, envy and hypocrisy and contempt and gossip. These things happen naturally. Nobody works hard to gossip. You just do it. Nobody works hard to be envious and jealous. You just are. Nobody works hard to be fake and be a hypocrite. This just happens real. Contempt is easy. What's hard, Peter says, is putting off all of that stuff, recognizing when you're doing it, and learning to love instead. Uh, The point Peter's making here is that even though you've been born again, you've got to look at your life, and you need to use that new nature of yours, and you need to work hard to notice when you're doing old stuff that are toxic to love, and you need to try hard and put forth every ounce of energy to love other people. It takes effort. So first, uh, Peter says, I want you to love people that are different. Love the brothers. It's got to be different in the church. Uh, And here's what you need to do. First, you need to be born again. You need a new nature. Second of all, you need to work hard at it. Strenuous effort. There's a third thing that Peter tells us. 
It's required if we're going to do this well. And that third thing is constant nourishment. Notice after Peter uh, gives the command to love, he circles back to the new birth. Verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In other words, Peter is saying, um, if you're going to love like this, if you're going to use your new nature to, to love other people, you need to have constant nourishment. Uh, because love takes effort. You're giving out and you're working hard and, and all the energy is going out of you. And just like when you work out physically, you need to feed your muscles. You need to feed your body to get more energy. And Peter is saying that if you're going to love, if you have all of this output going on in your life, there needs to be some input. You need to nourish yourself. You need to nourish your new nature. If you're going to grow up into salvation, he says, if you're going to grow up into the love that I've called you to, like a, a seed that's in the ground, you need to nourish the seed of new life that's in you. So if you're struggling to love, I want you to ask the question, what are you nourishing yourself on? What's coming into your life? Because what comes in goes out. And you've got to feed that new nature if it's going to grow. There's a story of a pastor um, who, there was a man in his congregation who uh, was, had just become a Christian and he was a member of the church. And he was a man who was saved out of a real violent background and so the pastor goes to his house to check on him to see how he's doing and so he comes in and he asks the man he says well how, how are you doing and the man said oh pastor it's a struggle and he says well it's a struggle what do you what do you mean can you tell me about that and the man said yeah it's like it's like there's two dogs living in me a white dog and a, and a black dog and the white dog is love and the black dog is hate and it's like they keep on fighting each other and the pastor says, well, which one is winning? And the man said, the one I feed the most. Listen, you've got two natures. You have the old nature, and then you've got the new life of God in you by virtue of the new birth. You have the old nature of hate, you have the new nature of love. And the one that's going to grow, the one that's going to win the battle is the one that you feed the most. Are you nourishing your spiritual self? What, what kind of input are you putting, putting into your heart and your mind? For a lot of us, you know, the, the input that we're getting is just this these internal dialogue that you talk to yourself with about other people. I hate this person. I don't like this person. What's wrong with this person? Well, if that's the, the monologue that's going on in your mind, well, guess what's going to come out of your life? Some of us are constantly nourishing our souls on social media. And so it's like Fox News or NPR and then my Facebook page and, and all this stuff is going in. Well, if, if that's your constant source of nourishment, well, guess what's going to come out of your life? It's not agape. It's probably something else. For some of us, we're nourishing ourselves on, you know, entertainment, Netflix all the time. Like this is what's going, on, going in. Whatever is coming into your heart and mind is going to come out in your life. And Peter is saying that if you're going to grow up into love, if the love, the seed of love is going to grow in your life, you've got to water it, you've got to nourish it. What do I nourish it on? Well, he says, he talks about spiritual milk. Um, earlier on, he talks about the word of God. 
Verse 25, he says, here's what you need to nourish yourself on. The good news that was preached to you. The gospel. He says, if you're ever going to grow in love, you've got to nourish your life on the word of God, the gospel. That's got to be what's coming in. Some of you, you have a practice of reading the, the scripture every morning. I commend that. I encourage you to do that. Keep that constant source of nourishment coming into your heart and soul, and you will find that love is going to come out. Because here's the deal. In order to love, we need to be full. We need to be strong. You know, if you're, if you're lacking in hope, you're going to find it hard to love people. If all you can see is a, is a dim light at the end of the tunnel, it's going to be hard to love people now. And so you need hope to love. And where do you get hope? Well, you have to go back to 1 Peter. And he says, you've been born again to a living hope. And he talks about that. Nourish your life on that so that you get more hope and so that you can love others more. Uh, some of us, we don't have joy. We find it so hard to love people because we just don't have any joy in our lives. So where do you get joy? Feed yourself on the good news of the gospel, which says that you've got a future and you've got a purpose. Some of us have a hard time loving people because we're insecure. You know, we don't know who we are. We feel unloved. We feel insignificant. If that's how you feel, it's going to be hard to love. And so what Peter says is remind yourself who you are. You are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You are the people of God. You once were not a people, but now God knows you and has called you. Some of us find it hard to love people because we don't, we don't feel loved ourselves. You know, maybe, again, you grew up in a family of origin where you didn't experience love. You know, maybe you find it hard to love because nobody taught you how to do that. And you know that hurt people hurt people. And wounded people wound people. And unloved people find it hard to love people. Peter says, here's what you need to nourish yourself on. You are loved by God. God shows you before the foundation of the world. God gave the precious blood of his only son to get you. God has adopted you into his family. God cares about you more than you will ever know. You are loved. And Peter says, nourish yourself on that. Fill yourself up on that. As a newborn baby that's got this little seed of spiritual life in you, you feed and you nourish yourself on God's word so that you begin to grow up in salvation and in the ability to love. I love this quote by David Benner. He says this, he says, meditating on God's love has done more to increase my love than decades of effort of trying to be more loving. One of the best things you can do to become a more loving person, I mean, you need to try hard. But even more than that, you need to nourish yourself on God's love for you. Peter says three things. We need to be different. You know, if the world is divided out there, we cannot bring that division in here in the church. We've got to be marked by brotherly love, agape. What do you need in order to do that? Well, you've got it. You've got the new birth, God's power, God's capacity to love. You need to work hard at it. It's not going to be easy. Number three, you need to constantly nourish yourself on the good news of the gospel. In conclusion, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, 
That's just the one thing that there's too little of, right? And Peter says, you are God's people. You have the spirit of God. Don't allow those divisions to come into the church. Love one another fervently, earnestly, with a pure heart, because you have been born again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this teaching that you've given us to love uh, each other. I know that there are people in this room that are struggling to love. Uh, Maybe they're struggling to love uh, somebody that differs uh, with them politically. Maybe they're struggling to love uh, their spouse, you know, someone in their family, a brother, a cousin, an uncle. Maybe they're struggling to love friends. Uh, Maybe uh, some of the things that have been going on in the culture with coronavirus and, uh, you know, the political stuff going on, we've, we've actually found it difficult to love our friends. God, I pray that you would fill us with your power. God, give us a vision for what it might look like if we as your people are marked by brotherly love. Not that we're all the same, not that we, that we all agree on everything, but despite our differences, we treat each other as brother and sister. God, we earnestly love each other. And Father, I pray that as we do that, we might be a counterculture. I pray that we might be salt and light, that we would be a, a group of people that reflect your love into this world of division. Help us to do this in Jesus' name.